If you've got your Bibles, if I can ask you just to open them, otherwise... Yep, should be there. If you've got your... Yeah, they were. Otherwise you can find But please read with me. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Craig. You can take that and give it to next. What a moment. There's nothing more exciting, I think, as leaders than when you see your team getting strengthened because I can feel that sense of health and what, how good it is, not just for us as a team, but for us as a community and for us as uh, Common Ground Bloberg and for Bloberg in general and, and beyond. And so my heart is so amazingly full. Thanks to Rig and Sue for serving us. I'm going to try to uh, share a short message today, given that we've uh, got a little less time than usual. But I want to speak today about waiting. I want to speak about waiting because uh, Jesus gives this command to wait. As Craig read it, you've got the resurrected Jesus who is now looking at his disciples and they are going, but you died on a cross all those days ago and he is now looking them in the eyes and he is saying, there is something about to happen. I'm going, but you're going to get a gift and I'm calling you to wait for this gift. If you're new to faith or following Jesus, this is, this is a fascinating part of the story of the gospel that we call uh, the Christian story. You see, what's happened here is that the, the, the very loving God, the creator God, has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who comes to live the life that no other human being can live. He then goes and dies a death that was definitely not deserving of him. It was more deserving of people like us. And he dies this death. But amazingly, in his death, he defeats the loveless, hate-filled world of darkness and sin and Satan and death. And he rises again three days later to say that life has come to this world in a way that you could never expect And the kingdom of God has arrived, and his resurrected body is the proof that we too have that as our uh, guaranteed future. And so Jesus shows us that the future is now, and he shows his resurrected body. But he says, I'm not going to stay here as a single human body showing you that the, the, the age to come has arrived. I am going to ascend, and I'm going to be with the Father, and I'm going to send you a counselor. He is the Holy Spirit. And he is going to help you to live lives of discipleship like the ones that these 12 disciples walked. He says, I am going to multiply my work of making disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit so that it can feel, it can be experientially as though you are living on this earth with Jesus walking by your side, making you a follower of him. And so he says, wait. Who likes waiting? Judging by your silence, no one. I'm reading an interesting book at the moment called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. If you're feeling brave and you've got lots of time on your hands, read it. It is a powerful descriptor of the world in which we live. 
And something that Carl Truman does is he, he starts to explain how quickly our world has changed. We, we kind of lived in a world that was kind of called Christendom. If you lived in the West up to 40, 50 years ago, the common conviction was that you live in a world created by a creator God. And that God can break in and do all manner of wonderful things because he created this world, he loves this world, and he is part of this world. But quite quickly, society has changed and essentially put the ceiling over themselves and said, no, we live in a closed environment. And so our society has said, no, there isn't a God who breaks into this world. There isn't a creator God. I live and the God of this world is myself, my experience, my feelings. I am in charge of this world. There is no creator. Now, you might be going, hey, look, I'm here because I believe in this God. What I do want you to realize is that our cultural, societal convictions rub off on us. And what that can mean is that our expectations or our uh, sense of what God could do can sometimes be diminished because we can find ourselves starting to take on what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're feeling from the rest of society. And so we might arrive into a church meeting and go, you know what, let's see what they've got today. Let's see what they pull off. Because something of the ceiling might have kind of come over our lives, over our expectation, because so much of the water we're swimming in in our culture says, he is no longer. In the famous words of Nietzsche, God is dead. And so many people have followed and and begun to think his thoughts. Are you going, you shouldn't be even saying that in church, but it's good for us to understand that that is the rising tide of many people who don't follow Jesus. That's the thinking. But we don't believe that. And we do have a testimony and a story of a God who broke in and a God who continues to love to break in. And I would be honest to say that over the last couple of weeks and months, we have been firsthand witnesses of a God who's been breaking in, who's been actually doing amazing stuff right amongst us. I think of myriads of times after every Sunday, a handful of people walk up to the front of these very meetings and people gather together and they pray. And we've had story after story after story of people going, God has broken into my life. And we're hearing stories. One person recently said, you know, uh, they, they, they prayed uh, about three weeks ago. And uh, I think it was next to one of the leaders who prayed the next week said, and, and, and what's, what's happened since we prayed? And these were the words, everything's different. <laughs> Because we believe in a God who breaks in, who is doing wonderful works, that as he broke in in Jesus Christ, Jesus promised that his Holy Spirit, his presence, will continue to do the same thing. And my hope today is that I just feed your sense of expectation that you don't live under a closed ceiling, that we live in a world where God delights to break in and to move amongst and to do what only he can do in his beautiful love. And so how do we taste? How do we experience something of God's in breaking? We're looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit, this wonderful treat that God says in Jesus, don't go. It's better that I leave. You guys wait. I'm going to give you my spirit, and then it's going to be just like I never left. What, why did Jesus say, wait? Nobody likes waiting. Can you imagine his disciples? Imagine they, he's about to ascend. They, they've got this feeling of finality, and he goes, one last thing, guys. Wait. Can you imagine? They were all like probably leaning in, and suddenly their posture's like, 
oh, wait. Of all the last minute instructions you give us, you say, wait. I want to suggest why Jesus would have said, wait. I want to suggest it because there is this background. Jesus was very versed in the Old Testament. He would have read Psalms like Psalm 27 verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Jesus was submerged in a culture of waiting. He was the most mature Christian that has ever existed. He is the prototype Christian, and he knew the scriptures, and he understood what it meant to wait on his Father. So, why should we wait? That's what I want to do today. I want to answer the question why we should wait, how we should, or what we should expect from waiting, and then how we should wait. So, firstly, why should we be the kind of people who wait? We hate waiting. What would waiting possibly do that could be any good for you or me? I don't want to wait. I want to get God now. Just like I get my food from a takeaway, I want my food now, and I'm going to complain if I don't get it quick. Let me suggest three quick things. Why wait? Waiting removes self-reliance. You're in the queue at ABSA, your favorite thing to do, right? You're in the bank. It's not as, uh, the aircon's not working. Who are you relying on when you're waiting in that queue? The teller. You're, you're not relying on yourself. There's not one thing you can do in the queue to make it go any faster. You're relying on someone else. And it is very much like God to do things in a way that ensures that he takes our own strength out of our hands. So much of the scriptures talk about stories where God takes people's strength away from them and then he blesses them and he does amazing things. I think of the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 where basically God takes Gideon. He says, go and conquer the Midianites. You're going to do something amazing. And Gideon gets 30,000 troops together and God says, no, 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 that's too many. So he takes them down to 10,000. He says, send 20 back, 20,000 back. Then he takes them down more till there are only 300. And God says, now go win this victory. Because God always wants to show that it's him. And if we come to God and we are muscled up and strong and saying, you know what, I've got everything, we could miss out on thinking it's us, not God. And so he says to his disciples, Wait. He's building a case for saying, I am going to do something that is only me. I don't want you to rely on yourself. I don't want you to get to the end of meeting with me and think you did it. (laughs) Think that it was in your strength that you did it. So I want you to wait. Wait. Secondly, waiting rejects fabricated experiences. I know when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, some of us have come from some potentially wild and wacky backgrounds, and you talk about the Holy Spirit, and you go, oh my gosh, you're going to start doing what you know, my auntie used to do, and I just don't know if I've got that in me right now. Jesus says, wait. Waiting means I can't make anything happen. All I do as a follower of Christ is to get to God and wait intentionally. I anticipate that God will break in, but I am not coming, chanting, dancing around the fire, doing something crazy so that I can bring about some uh, new experience. All I do, according to Jesus, is just wait. What we do tend to do is we wait together sometimes, and we wait apart, and we'll talk about that. But really, I'm building a case for the fact that if you want to follow Jesus and enjoy more of his presence, one of the first things you've got to do is you've got to... I'm going to do that again just now, and I need more volume than that. 
Waiting pushes back on fabricated, made-up experiences. Also, waiting resets our pace and our priorities. It resets our pace and our priorities. How many of us want to get it now? You want whatever you've got. Rog, I've got another 35 minutes before I need to get out of here. I've got lunch to make, so you better give me this thing now. And waiting says no. You wait for things that you love. How many of us are willing to wait? It's our daughter's eighth birthday. She has been waiting. She's been counting down the days for 30 days. We have had this proverbial advent calendar going for Chloe's birthday. Today is the day. She has been waiting, and she is willing to wait patiently because she knows it is a good thing. If you love something, you will wait for it. And you've probably got some stuff you're waiting for right now. Maybe it's your 13th check. Maybe it's the job. You're waiting because you're expecting something. You're hoping for something. We had this conversation in our life group the other day, and we said, you know, we always ask the question, you know, how are you? And and we meet someone, and then we go, "And, and what do you do? It's normally the first question you ask. What do you do? One of the guys in our life group said, you know what? We should change that question. We should say, What do you prioritize? Because actually, that tells more about who you really are. Somebody else said, what do you sacrifice? (laughs) We thought that might be a bit heavy as your first introduction. But the question is actually pretty good. What do you wait for? What do you spend your heart longing for, waiting for? Jesus says, wait for me. The scriptures are filled with experiences of saying, wait for me. So waiting is a very important part of the spiritual life of walking with Jesus. So what should we expect when we wait? We should expect a whole bunch of things. And and when I talk about waiting, I talk about waiting personally, but also waiting together. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he says, wait uh, for the Holy Spirit. He's actually talking to a group. So this is a corporate journey. This is not just an alone thing, a me thing. This is an us thing and an individual thing. There's a symbiosis in our waiting. We wait alone, we wait together. What should you expect? I think you should expect a whole bunch when you experience the Holy Spirit. One, you should expect to grow in discernment. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power. The, the, the Holy Spirit's job is to, is to come and help us to see Jesus, help us to see who God is and what he's like. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's a bit like the, the lights on Table Mountain. He doesn't come just to give you some fizzy feeling so that you kind of buzz into your day going, woo. I feel better than I did, which is cool, and he does that sometimes. He's a bit like the lights on Table Mountain, that they shine up at the mountain. The Holy Spirit, according to uh, John chapter 16, says, He will glorify me, talking about the Holy Spirit, because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. What he's saying there is he says the Holy Spirit is like the lights on Table Mountain. You don't go stare into the lights and blind yourself. You get to look up at the mountain because the, the lights have shone upon the mountain. The Spirit shines upon Jesus as we get into his presence and we go, wow, you are kind, you are good, you are gentle, you are humble, you are loving. The work of the Spirit is to make us go, whoa, how good you are, Jesus, to discern who Jesus is in a world that's trying to put up all multiple different gods. When the Spirit comes, we should expect power. Jesus says to his disciples, when you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. You can anticipate after your waiting, when, when God comes and meets with you, you should anticipate some fresh power. 
to, to live in Jesus' presence, to become more like Jesus, to, to love people more like Jesus, uh, more into the, into the kingdom. There should be a sense of, of power that can come upon us. You should expect that to happen. I can think of multiple times in my last year where a time or experience with Jesus has given me new power. Sometimes it's just because life is so tiring and difficult and so much is going on, and you take some time to be in the presence of God, and suddenly a fresh grace, a fresh power comes upon you to be able to face what you need to face. We should anticipate, expect that. Daffod Morgan, a famous old Welsh kind of preacher, teacher, says uh, he went to bed one night like a lamb, and he woke up like a lion with great power inside of him. And he preached with just amazing power and helped many people come to, to faith because of this fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit. We should expect that. We should also expect prophetic insight. The, the outpouring of the Spirit in the New Testament seems to always be closely connected to a sense of prof, the prophetic, a sense of what is God doing and moving into the future. Acts 2, verse 17, uh, Peter's quoting Joel as the Spirit's being poured out, and he says, In these last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. We should expect that in our waiting, as we move and experience God, that something of our prophetic eyes are opened. Now, for some of us, this is such like bizarre, maybe new language to us, but, but what that means is that God starts to help us to see his preferred future for the world. That's the best way to describe prophecy. It's that your eyes start to see the way things ought to be. And for different people with differing levels of clarity and gifting, they can see things amazingly clear. Sometimes it's a sense of, of injustice. You just desire to, to see things change. Sometimes it's a sense of a person's life, and you feel a, an ability to help them move towards that better preferred future. It's a sense that as God moves in your heart, you see a better day for a system, a society, an individual, and you begin to help them move towards that. We should anticipate those kinds of experiences as we wait on the Spirit. We should expect intimacy. Romans 8 verse 15 says, The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. We don't just walk hand in hand with the Father. Sometimes he picks us up, he whispers, and he says, you are my child. We should expect that as we walk and wait for God. We should expect peace. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. I'm building a case for why you shouldn't rush through your life like a jet ski building across the surface because so many of us are so anxious, but how many of us are waiting how many of us have a posture of waiting? You want peace, but you're still flying through life, skimming the surface without this ability to wait. We want the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. Hey, we should expect joy. Chapter 2, they get accused after the Spirit's been poured out on them for the first time as the church. And everyone looks at them and goes, you guys are drunk. And Peter has to go, no, no, guys, I promise you, it's nine in the morning. We're really not drunk. We're just elated with joy that this, this promise that Jesus said was coming has actually come. We waited like he told us, and suddenly we are just like, wow, he's moving amongst us. We've got a sense of him close to us. We should expect that, and when that happens, joy comes upon us. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe if you're new to faith or you're still asking all these questions, my invitation is that 
following Jesus is not simply just kind of getting into a church and pitching up. It's an encounter with a God who wants to walk with you, who wants to love you, who wants you to grow in discernment and power and prophetic insight and intimacy and peace and joy. And that can all be yours as you walk with him. It's an invitation. It's a wonderful invitation. So how do we wait on the Spirit? Uh, You might be still pretty annoyed with the concept of waiting, but it's something we've got to deal with as followers of Jesus. But how do we do it? Here's a few quick thoughts. Firstly, we need to wait personally and persistently. Personally and persistently. Think of Psalm 5. Listen to these lovely passages. Psalm 5 verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. That's a similar word that's used for the word wait. I will eagerly watch. I will order my life in a way that says I am eagerly watching all the time. Lamentation 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. I don't think that the person who wrote Lamentations is going, God isn't good to those who don't wait on him. It's the fact that those who don't wait on him can't see his goodness because they're skimming across the surface of life like a jet ski at a million miles an hour, and they haven't been able to slow down and see that he is good. Would you wait on him personally and persistently. Psalm 62, my soul. Now this is a, the psalmist. He's actually talking to himself. How's your self-talk? His self-talk is pretty solid. He goes, my soul. Hey, hey, soul. Hey, heart. You forgetful, silly heart that keep uh, getting distracted by all kinds of things like wealth and worries and all kinds of other stuff. My soul, wait in silence for God. For my hope is from him. How's your waiting? Is it persistent? Is it personal? Is it you as a person going, you know what? Better than my next acquisition, better than my next promotion, better than my next breakthrough, I need him. You need him. I've got to tell you, I wish I could get on my knees to tell you, you need him. More than any other personal life breakthrough You need him to break through your and my hard heart to love us, to teach us, to coach us. But he seems to break through in people's hearts who are willing to wait, to wait in silence, to wait in solitude. Something I'm fighting hard for and I battle with is to have a daily time where I'm not even only reading my Bible, I'm just being quiet. I'm trying to calm my thoughts. What's that lovely thing in Lectio 365? As I enter prayer now, I center myself upon the presence of God, and then my scattered senses. I center my scattered senses upon the presence of God. How scattered are your senses? Take a time each day to wait on God by centering yourself, your scattered senses upon the presence of God. Secondly, wait corporately, consistently, and consciously. Nick did such a good job this morning of speaking to the conscious waiting because so many of us can be present. We're teaching ourselves through our devices and all kinds of other lack of uh, kind of conscious manners in society. We're teaching ourselves to be in the same room but not present to each other. 
They're not present to God. That's why I had to add consciously, because when we come together, we need to consciously come together and say, we are here. Our minds are focused. We want to be together. We want to be in God's presence. Jesus gathered his disciples, and he said, wait. And then they, in Acts chapter 2, go and wait together. Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. Love that plural. We, our souls, we are a people who wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. How's your waiting? How are you doing at waiting? What are you waiting for? Jesus says, wait for my spirit. I will pour it out on you. Thirdly, it's kind of a catch-all. Posture yourself in a permanent waiting mode. Posture yourself in a permanent waiting mode. You've got to live your life. You have to brush your teeth. You have to pitch up at work. You have to be there for your loved ones. You've got to do stuff. But I imagine uh, that this uh, writer of Micah 7 says, But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. He had stuff to do. He had a job. He had teeth to brush. He had kids to get to school. But at the same time, she or whoever it is saying, but as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. Psalm 25 verse 5, for you I wait all the day. Do you think that person sat in a kind of crossed leg position and waited all day? Of course not. They did life, but they were like they were on a game drive. When last have you been on a game drive? If you haven't, I want a game drive for all of you. It is such a treat. What you're doing in a game drive is you are walking, uh, you're, sorry, you're, you're driving or you're sitting in a car, somebody else is usually driving, and you're chatting and you're engaging and you're sharing. But at the same time, you have one primary focus. You're looking for animals. And so although you're chatting, although you're always doing stuff, your eyes are searching through the forest, searching through the, the, the thickets. You're trying to see that lion's ear. You're trying to spot that leopard. You're trying to see anything that resembles an animal that could be worth looking at. But at the same time, you're still conversing. You've got this sixth sense that is searching whilst you're living your life normally. That's what we as followers of Jesus are called to do, to be in a posture of waiting. As my friend who was my uh, cricket rugby coach back in the day, and my cricket coach, remember I told you two weeks ago, he always said when you're playing rugby, you always should be running like this. He says, no matter what, if your team have the ball, you're like this the whole time. And he would literally get on his haunches. You're like this. You're like this. Why? Because the ball could come to you anytime. You are in a posture of waiting. And he was a phenomenal coach who got amazing results because he said, you are always expecting that ball to come. We live under an open heaven. We live in a world where God is wanting to break in, has plans and purposes, and is wanting to move on our lives. And I wonder how much of it we miss. I wonder how much of it we miss. I wonder how much of it we just miss because we're just running too fast. And our posture isn't waiting, watching, looking, slowing down, being aware that there is a God on the move who loves people, 
who loves people far from God. He loves people close to God. We're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks the kind of gifts God uses through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can love people better, so that we can love the world better, so that we can muscle up as the kind of church who can be a blessing to the world and blessing to each other. But we're just going to start by being the kind of people who wait. Hey, by the way, we waited this morning in our prayer meeting. If you're longing to just learn the skill of prayer, we're doing it every uh, Sunday morning, five to nine. Come a little early. It is magical. We get to wait on God. We get to learn how to discern His presence. We get to learn how to pray together. It is such a special time. Hey, I invite you this morning. Would you wait? Let's do it together. Let's do it alone. Let's be the kind of people who are postured to see God, to experience Him, and not to miss what He may want to do. If the band could come up, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to land in a time of singing, and I do want us to intentionally just consider, as we sing, not just singing for singing's sake, but singing consciously, saying, God, I'm posturing my heart freshly. I'm realigning my thought patterns. I want to just be a little more conscious this week, together and apart, of waiting, expecting you to break in, expecting something of your power, expecting something of your presence, expecting something of your beautiful grace. I did that in 28 minutes, by the way. Hope that's okay. Luke 11, Jesus teaching about this beautiful gift of the Spirit. He says, if he asks for an egg, a child, if a child asks for an egg, what kind of father would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Won't you stand with me? We're not landing church. We're moving into a journey of waiting. We're not finishing a meeting now. We're starting a process of becoming the kind of people who wait, who live in a posture of waiting. And no, we won't wait only. <laughs> Those who wait, listen to what happens. Those who wait for the Lord, they will gain new strength, says Isaiah. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Jesus, this morning we embrace your upside-down kingdom. That as we intentionally do less, you intentionally give us more. As we intentionally wait, not lying on the couch, apathetically, but sitting in your presence, watching for your working, we expect that you will break in and you will do what we couldn't imagine. As you have been doing, we expect you will continue to do. As my coach Harry says, we put up our hands, but maybe we just flip them over and we say, here we are ready to receive whatever you would want to give us. Not just now, but ready to wait into the week. Wait for you and to have you renew our strength. We do not look to the strength of our bank balance or the strength even of our personal relationships 
or the strength of whatever else we are invested in. We look to the strength of our joy in you. And because of that, we wait. As we sing, we sing in an attitude of saying, here we are, ready to wait. The people for you, Jesus. Let's sing. Thank you.